Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this morning for this high privilege that you have afforded us to assemble together to hear a portion of your word. We realize that we are in a tumultuous times. We also know that underneath are the everlasting arm that sustain us. So, Father, it is a privilege that you have given us your word in written form, since in them we can find the stability of our souls through these unstable times of lives. We recognize that you have promised that you keep them in peace, those whose mind stay on your word. So we have gathered to get our minds fed with truth. And we recognize that the human mind cannot grasp anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We're still in First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. And we are still, uh, of course, dealing with spiritual gifts, and we'll be dealing with it for some time. Uh, One of the uh, things that we find in our days is that uh, uh, believers do not want to invest time to study the Word of God. That's why people want what you call seminate. Give it to me. 15-20 15-20 minutes. Be done with. And what do you do with the rest of the time? Put it in perspective. And see how much of your time you, you devote to the word. And how much you devote to things that are really don't mean anything. But the reality is that unless believers are able to devote time. Anything that is worthwhile on this planet. You must devote time. People go through all kinds of training. Physicians, some of them go through almost 15 years of training to do what they do. So you must, there must be time devoted if you're going to be uh, good in anything. And so it is surprising that Christians don't want to do that. We don't want to sit still for an hour, two hours and listen to the word of God. But we can sit still, as I keep saying, in entertainment, sports and so on, without blinking an eye. However, that causes some problem. And the problem is, a lot of times Christians argue out of their emotions and not out of the scripture. Or because somebody has told them, has taught them they've had something in the past. And they run with it. But it's not really grounded in the scripture. And that is what we have as we deal with this gifts of spiritual gifts that we have. Because there are things that um, some of you may have believed otherwise. But pay attention as we explain them. 
They may, you may or may not be right. We, we just have to see. Now let me uh, look at, I'm going to read from verse 9. It says, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gift of healing by, the same, uh, by that one spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one, just as he determines. Now let me refresh your mind of the, ma- the main message of 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11, which is simply that there are several spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gave for the benefit of the church. Now we have considered five of these, and so we proceed with the sixth spiritual gift. The sixth spiritual gift is that of prophecy that is described in the phrase of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10. It says, to another prophecy. Now that phrase, to another, as we have indicated previously and we continue to, uh, to remind you, is that not every believer has the gift, but only those the Holy Spirit determines to bestow these gifts. Of course, the phrase does not imply that a person could not have another spiritual gift beside this particular one. Now, in effect, we are saying that the phrase does not mean that a believer will have one spiritual gift. But it simply indicates that not every believer will have the gift of prophecy. So, what is this gift of prophecy? What is it? Now, this may seem to be a trivial equation until we understand that scholars, either influenced by Greek understanding instead of the scripture, or by desire to defend a theological bent. In other words, people have this view. Once they have it, they go into the scripture and begin to support it. Which, in my judgment, it should always come the other way. Your view should come from the Bible. Not you take your view and you go to the Bible and start looking for it. A way to justify it. And in that way, you're going to find things that make you think you're correct. Whereas, if you went the other way, which is the right way, you will not find that view. But once people have their views, they go into the Bible and begin as what we call a proof text. And so, some scholars have a theological bent, and so based on that, they have all kinds of things to say about uh, this thing called prophecy. Now, so, we have them defining it in different ways. For example, some say that it is not foretelling, but what they call foretelling. It's not foretelling. That's telling the future. They're telling what's right now. Now, uh, one of the scholars, Anthony uh, Tiston, defines prophecy, and I quote him, as a gift of the Holy Spirit combines pastoral insights into the needs of persons, communities, and situations with the ability 
to address these with a God-given utterance or longer discourse, whether unprompted or prepared with judgment, decision, and rational reflection, leading to challenge or comfort, judgment or consolation, but ultimately building up the addresses. End of quote. That's how he explained prophecy. How do you give to prophecy? So anyway, really two things help in understanding this gift. The Greek word used and the scripture in general. Those two will help us understand this gift. That means we're going to spend time in those two. Now the word prophecy is translated from a Greek word that may mean the capacity or the ability to utter inspired message. Or it can mean simply gift of prophesying. Prophesying. That is to have the ability to declare divine will as the word is used by Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 6. Romans chapter 12 verse 6. It reads, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. See that clause is, A man's gift is prophesying is more literally from the Greek if it is prophecy. Prophecy. Now the word may mean prophecy, alright? That is an utterance inspired by God as in Apostle Paul's uh, description regarding Timothy what led and and part of his uh, uh, gifts of being a a pastor and so on. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. It reads, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies. That's a Greek word. Prophecies. Once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Now the word, really, the Greek uh, word, uh, uh, prophesia, it can also mean Prophetic activity, as the word is used to describe an activity of the two witnesses of the future, described in the 11th chapter of Revelation, specifically Revelation chapter 11, verse 6. Revelation 11, verse 6. Revelation chapter 11 verse 6. It reads, These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood 
and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they went. Now that was during the time they are prophesying of the NIV. It's more literally from the Greek, during the days of their prophecy. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10, the Greek word is used with the meaning of prophecy. That is, the ability to deliver representative declaration of the mind, will, or knowledge of God. Doesn't the gift of prophecy the apostle described is the capability or the ability to utter inspired message. Now this being the case, we need, really need to understand what it means then to prophesy. Considering information provided in the Old Testament scripture. Now if you read the scripture, there are certain things you have to go, you read and you wonder what they are. Without knowing some other facts. So we're going to go through uh, the Old Testament and show you. Because some of you may have read where, which we're going to come to this morning. Uh, the prophets of Bela are said to be prophesying. And <laughs> what does that mean? So we, we need to go through all that so it becomes a little bit clearer. Now originally, to prophesy was predominantly to be in a religious ecstasy that a person attends with or without music. Now it is this meaning that explains the assertion of prophesying by two of the 70 elders Moses appointed. They were said to prophesy without any form of music. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 26 through 27. Numbers. Chapter 26. I mean chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. Numbers 11, chapter 11, read, verse 26 reads, However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. Now a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So you ask yourself, what did they see? What made them say they are prophesying? These are things we have to deal with when you read the scripture. And it's really difficult though to understand what it means here to prophesy unless we recognize that prophesying originally meant to be in some form of ecstatic state. Now it happened to these two men without any form of music. It was produced by the spirit directly on them. But on some other occasions, prophesying 
in terms of being in ecstatic state was affected by music as well. Now this was the case with Saul in the company of group of prophets as recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 10 verses 5 and 6. For Samuel, chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. For Samuel, chapter 10, verses 5 and 6 reads, After that, you will go to Gibeah of, of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. You can keep thinking. They say, these men are prophesying. What are they doing? Now, prophesying here, though, refers to ecstatic behavior that consists of dancing and shouting. That's what it is here. Dancing and shouting. Now, similarly, we find six men described as being involved in prophecy using music in First Chronicles chapter 25 verse 3. First Chronicles chapter 25 verse 3. First Chronicles chapter 25 verse 3 reads, As for Jedutun, from his sons, Gedaliah, Zeri, Jesiah, Shemaiah, Hashabiah, and Matita, six in all, under the supervision of their father, Jedutin, who prophesied using the harp in thanking and praising the Lord. So, this prophesying here has to do again with some kind of dancing and praising God with music, but they were uh, shouting and praising God. That was part of what's called prophesying here. Now, to understand prophesying as originally a reference to being in an ecstatic state, helps us then to comprehend how the prophets of Baal or Baal could be said to prophesy. Now they are false, and yet they say to prophesy. They worship idols. And yet we hear them, uh, the scripture tells us they were prophesying. In First Kings chapter 18, verse 29. First Kings chapter 18, verse 29. Now again, what I'm saying is, bear in mind, we're dealing with those who are involved in idolatry. 
And yet we are reading, going to read here, they were prophesying. So he reads, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying. Frantic prophesying. Until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now interestingly though, some of the English versions that are quite literal in their translation did not use the literal word prophesy in this passage. They did not do that. Now see the, the phrase, they are frantic prophesying of the NIV is rendered this way in the New American Standard Bible. This is the way they translated. They raved. They raved. That's the way they translated. Instead of prophesying, they said they raved. The same thing is true of the uh, English Standard Version. But the New English Translation rendered it this way. They were in an ecstatic frenzy. Which captures my mind what it means that the prophets of Baal were prophesying. They were frantic. Remember the whole thing. There's a challenge here. Prove that you, what you worship is the true God. Elijah said, I'm going to prove I'm the one worshiping the true God. So they were in a frenzy. They were singing and dancing and whipping up, holding that they're going to get their God to, to do something. To no avail. So they were excited and at the same time, you know, in pain and everything, shouting. And that's what they were in a, a, an ecstatic frenzy. And that's what is described as prophesying. So you see, originally, we're dealing with something that has to do with being in an ecstatic uh, state. And so, when you he- read the Bible, you need to understand what I just explained. Otherwise, you wouldn't know how to explain what it is that the prophets of Baal were uh, prophesying. Okay. So then prophesying, understood as being in ecstatic state, can also be, can be produced by the Spirit of God, as we've already uh, uh, stated. Now, an illustration of this is the case with the man Saul sent to capture David, according to 1 Samuel Chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And hold on to 1 Samuel. It reads, 1 Samuel chapter 19, reads, verse 19, reads, Word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Now again, keep, keep hearing this word, prophesied. It wasn't, they weren't telling something in the future or something in the past. Nothing. They were just, it was some kind of, an, a, a kind of ecstatic state that they were all involved in dancing and singing and all kinds of things. So it says, uh, verse 23, Saul was told 
about it and he sent more men and they prophesied too. Saul sent uh, men a third time and they also prophesied. So you have to keep remembering and asking yourself, what is this prophesying then? Except if you understand what I've just explained as some kind of frenzy or ecstatic condition. Now, evil spirit can produce this ecstatic state in a person as is evident when an evil spirit was working on Saul, King Saul, and he was said to be prophesying. According to 4 Samuel that you're holding, look at chapter 18, verse 10. For Samuel, chapter 18, verse 10. It is the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house. Now that's an evil spirit. And he was prophesying. And you go back and tie it to the fact that those in idolatry were prophesying. So that tells you what we think prophesying is at that time, it's not what it is. He says, while David was playing the harp as he usually did, so had a spear in his hand. Again, the assertion, he was prophesying in his house. It's translated in the New American Standard Bible and in the English Standard Version. This is the way they translated it. He raved within his house. He raved. Now the point then is that originally the predominant idea in prophesying was to be in an aesthetic state. But later, to prophesy had the dominant meaning of speaking under the influence of of divine inspiration with or without reference to future events. Again, that that is the, the predominant meaning later, speaking under the influence of divine inspiration with or without reference to future events. Now by divine inspiration, we mean that, that divine power overcomes a human being and compares him or her to see, to hear, or other things which otherwise will be hidden from the individual. Now this was the case with prophet Elisha, as recorded in Second Kings chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Second Kings, Chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. 2 Kings, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It is, But now, bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley 
full of ditches. So the Holy Spirit, here I say the, uh, the Lord, the hand of the Lord, that's really the Spirit. Now it is possible then that a person will be under inspiration and not know it. You can be under inspiration and don't know it. And if we get time, by the time we finish, I'll give you an example on a personal level. If we have time, this morning we see. Now, what I've just said is a, a person can be under inspiration without knowing it. And again, like I tell you, I don't make things, I don't make them up, I don't make statements, unless I find them in the Bible. So, John chapter 11, verses 49 and 50, through 52 is the basis of what I just said. John chapter 11 verses 49 through 52. Remember the point I made is simply that it is possible that a person will be under divine inspiration and don't know it. Which in my, once I learned that a long time ago, I listened carefully to when I deal with fellow believers. And you, some of them, you won't believe how much I have received from just a believer. I didn't even know what it said. And it turned out to be what I needed to hear. Anyway, so here it reads, Then one of them named Kephas, who was a high priest that year spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man dies for the people than that the whole nation perish. He's talking about, let's kill Jesus instead of all of us getting into trouble. Look at verse 51 says, He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus will die for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So the commentary the Holy Spirit provided us through Apostle John in verse 51 of this 11th chapter of John's Gospel indicates that Caiaphas did not know he was under inspiration. He didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't know about it. And he did not know the implication of what he said either. But he was under divine inspiration. In any event then, it should be clear that prophesying as an activity that involves utterance under divine inspiration could be understood in at least three ways. In at least three ways. It can refer to proclaiming an inspired revelation. Proclaiming an inspired revelation. Now the instructions recorded in the scripture come under this meaning. The instructions recorded in our scripture come under this meaning. Now this is implied in the assertion that the contents of the scripture were 
result of the Holy Spirit carrying the prophets along as they uttered what are recorded in the scripture according to Second Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. Now this is one, one of those reasons why as a believer your authority must be the scripture. That's the final authority. And what that means is regardless of what people say or don't say is it in the scripture? Now I mean you can read the scripture and misquote it but if it's properly understood and interpreted that should be your final authority. Stake your life on it. That is to say, no matter what anyone says, I mean, the whole world can gag around you, it doesn't matter. You don't move away from it, which apparently is not taking place these days. Because a whole lot of Christians, even those on the pulpit, they keep now wavering, shifting, shifting. And the Bible is no longer, I mean, it still holds authority to them, but they, they are wavering in some areas. No, everything in it is authoritative. We just have to apply it correctly. This is what it says. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just making this. And one of the good things is that by the grace of God in this last 26 years, we have done a lot. And this thing that I've just read, you remember many years ago, we studied it verse by verse and word by word. And if you forgot, go on the website. You go back and look at, and listen to this particular session, and you get what we uh, explain about these two verses. Now, the speech of the high president, Caiaphas, about the death of Jesus Christ that we previously cited in John 11, specifically verse 49-51, falls under this meaning of revelation. So the activities of the two witnesses of revelation that uh, fall into uh, the meaning of proclaiming and inspired revelation is, is the thing that is confirmed also in uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. Again, we're saying that um, the, as far as we talk about inspiration, that the divine inspiration can be looked at and seen in first way as an inspired uh, revelation, which this is what we read here. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for. 126, what's it, 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So they will reduce things. That's what this prophesying means. Now another meaning of prophesying is to foretell something that lies in the future. Now again, this is so important because when people argue if you are arguing a point, both of you must have the same common ground 
as to what you, uh, that word, you, whatever you argue means. Because if you're arguing that this is this, and a person interprets another way, then both of you are really not listening to each other. You're not arguing the same thing. So when we argue, we have to know what we're arguing about. So that is why when we say about prophecy, know now I've said there is a first one, a second one of inspired uh, alterations or utterances, and that this one has to do with the future. Now the predictions in the Old Testament scriptures about future events, especially those concerning the Messiah, fall under this meaning. Now the prediction of the man of the death of Ahab by prophet Elijah falls under this meaning of foretelling something that lies in the future as recorded in First Kings chapter 21 verse 19. First Kings chapter 21 verse 19. Now hold on to that first Kings. First Kings 21 verse 19 reads, Say to him, This is what the Lord says, Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, This is what the Lord says, In the place where dogs licked up Neighbor's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Now, first of all, this, this passage is with the two parts of divine inspiration that we have already mentioned that of Revelation. Because Elijah had no way of knowing why Neighbor was murdered or killed by. Uh, Jezebel, really. <laughs> he had no way of knowing it, except it was revealed to him. And now this second part of foretelling the future is what he says now about the manner of his death. Now, it is true that the word prophecy, or prophesy, is not used here, but the word spoken by uh, Elijah are to be reckoned as prophecy. Since they were fulfilled as he predicted, according to that first Kings chapter twenty two, verses thirty seven through thirty eight. First Kings chapter twenty two, verses thirty seven through thirty eight reads So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him there. They washed the chariots at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. That's the fulfillment of what was revealed to prophet Elijah, and he talked about what's going to take place in the future. So we have seen the first two, where revelation is involved, or 
The second one, well, foretelling of what's in the future. Still though, another meaning of prophesying is to tell something that is hidden from view. Something hidden from view. Now it is this, that it's in this sense that the word is used by the soldiers who mocked and mistreated Jesus during his trial as they demanded him to identify who struck him while he was blindfolded as recorded in Luke chapter 22 verse 64. Luke chapter 22 verse 64. It is, they blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? Now, when you read this kind of thing, think a little bit, and you can see the utmost love that Christ had for us. He restrained himself. Now, can you imagine if you, if you had that power, and they say, okay, tell who? He not only can he say who, he can pulverize that person with one word. Yet he didn't move. They didn't move him. He knew who struck him. He knew that in eternity. But he didn't move. But so that's what they say. Then they, 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 they blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy who hit you. That is, tell what is hidden from view. That part of prophesying. Anyway, so we have noted then the various meanings associated with the word prophesying. But there are several facts stated in the scripture in connection with the word that we should become aware. First, certain activities involved in prophesying are under the control of either the person prophesying or someone else. Some of the activities. Now the control of the activity of prophesying that it is uh, in the sense of uh, being under the control of somebody cannot be easily verified from the scripture. All I'm saying is that the, that the control of the activity of prophesying in the sense of singing of God's messages is under another person's control. It's stated in First Chronicles chapter 25 verse 2. First Chronicles, chapter 25, verse 2. It is, First Chronicles, chapter 25, verse 2 reads, From the sons of Asaph, Zachor, Joseph, Netaniah, and Asherah, the sons of Asaph were under the supervision of Asaph. These were prophesying. Who prophesied under the king's supervision. So the king supervised his uh, prophesying. So here then, the prophesying of the sons of Asaph was under 
his supervision, while his was under the supervision of King David. Now, as we have previously stated, the one who prophesies also can control his activity. This we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 29 to 33. I'm going to read it. If the Lord uh, permits and gives, keeps us alive, we'll, we'll go through this when, at the right time. We, we'll go through it and explain all that. I'm just going to read it for now. But we, we, we'll get to it uh, probably somewhere next year by the grace of God. Who knows? Anyway, it is two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully. What he said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. That's the point I'm making. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So that's the first thing, that certain activities of prophesying is under the person's control or somebody else. Second, prophesying is an activity that may involve dreams, according to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 32. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 32 my point there is simply to say that prophesying can involve dream it reads Jeremiah 23 verse 32 reads indeed I am against those who prophesy false dreams declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. Now the false, that false prophecy involves false dreams implies that true prophecy can also involve revelatory dreams, as was the case of the dreams given to Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. Those, the uh, dream given to Pharaoh was revelatory because he talked about the future prosperity and famine that was coming. And that was carried out, fulfilled, in, without to an unbeliever. Now the book of Daniel has a lot to say about the uh, prophecy that, or the dream that the Lord gave to Daniel which had to do with things that were going to unfold. So, these were some form of prophecy that came through a dream. 
So it's not only dreams though, that can lead though, to false prophesying. I mean, people can have uh, dreams to be misleading. But, uh, you know, sometimes people can prophesy from their own imagination. As stated in Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 17. And I've had this kind of prophecy. Somebody uh, said something uh, many few years ago. But the person was just saying what he was imagining to me. Because I waited to see if what he said came true and he never did. So I knew that was just his imagination gone wild. So this is what it says. Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 17. It says, now... Son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them. So people can prophesy out of their own imagination and they think it's from God. Third, it is possible to prophesy and not be a believer. That sounds very strange, isn't it? Of course, when I have given you an example of Nebuchadnezzar, through his him, uh, prophesying something that's going to happen in the future, that shouldn't surprise you. But this is why I really base it, is what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Matthew chapter 7 verses 22 and 23. It is, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. So, she didn't know all those who claimed to, be, to prophesy. That means unbelievers could prophesy. Fourth, the promise of prophesying is one of the activities of the last days. Prophesying is one of those activities. Now, Apostle Peter, during his sermon on the day of Pentecost, made a reference to, to this truth by quoting from prophet Joel as we read in in Acts chapter 2 verses 16 through 18. Acts chapter 2 verses 16 through 18. It is. No, this is what was spoken by Prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will 
prophesy. So it's an activity associated with the last days. Fifth, now because of the benefit of prophesying, the local church or a local church really is encouraged to desire the spiritual gift associated with prophesying, and particularly according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 6 and verse 39. Again, I'm going to read this since without much of comment and just hold on to that First Corinthians 14. It is, follow the word of love and eagerly, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it do to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge of prophecy or word of instruction? Now, drop to verse 39. Verse 39 says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Again, like I said, those things are coming uh, by God's grace in the future. Sixth, prophesying is primarily for the benefit of believers. Primarily. Doesn't mean it won't benefit unbelievers, but I say primarily for believers. This is also in the same First uh, Corinthians chapter 14 that we're in, look at verses 22 and 20 through 25. First Corinthians chapter 14, look at verses 22 through 24. I mean 25. It reads, Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church uh, comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand come, uh, comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So it is because prophesying then benefits believers that the Holy Spirit through 
Apostle Paul encourages those with the gifts of prophesying to do that according to their faith. And it's in the passage that I already uh, quoted. I'm not going to go back to it, but it's uh, in fact the very first passage. That's Romans 12 verse 6. I don't need to go back there. Anyway, the seventh thing that we need to understand is that the scripture warns against treating prophecies with contempt, as the Holy Spirit stated through Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 22-21. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 22-21 reads, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold on to the good. Now the expression, treat with content, is translated from a Greek verb that in this context has the meaning of despising or rejecting prophecies, either because they are beneath one's consideration or because they are of no value or that they are worthless. Now instead of despising prophecy, what is required is proper testing of it, as in that command, test everything. Now, so we have so far focused in on the word prophecy in our study because we want to answer the question, what is this gift of prophecy? We want to do that in a more comprehensive manner. Now, we've already stated, though, that the gift of prophecy is the capability or the ability to utter inspired message or simply the gift of prophesying. Now, so our examination of what prophecy as given in the scripture indicates that the inspired message from God is of two kinds. The inspired message from God is of two kinds. The first is God's will by which the church should function. That's codified for us, and that is our scripture. That's the first. The first kind of message, revealed, inspired message, is that that's codified, and we call it the scripture. The second is a communication about the future or hidden facts. Now, it seems to me that failure to distinguish these two kinds of inspired message from God contributes to the debate among scholars regarding the validity of the gift of prophecy in the church today. There should, not, there should be no doubt that the will of God by which the church should function in terms of doctrine has been delivered through the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. But that does not mean that the aspect of inspired message that deals with the future has ceased to exist. Does it mean that? Now what this means is that for all 
practical purposes. The gift of prophecy today consists of inspired messages about the future, not of the type revealed in the scripture, and the revealing of hidden facts. So we're saying inspired messages today has to be with the future events and revealing of hidden facts. Now we are saying then that because our scripture is completed, inspired utterances could not apply to explaining of the scripture. As some people claim that prophesying means explaining the Bible. And say it cannot be since explaining the scripture is covered under the gift of teaching. So it couldn't be. It is true that Apostle Paul implied in the 14th chapter that prophesying that served to help strengthen and encourage believers, but that should not should be understood really as inspired messages that have not been written down that the church needed until the entire scripture was completed. So we contend that the gifts of prophesying or gift of prophecy does not extend then to the teaching of the word of God. It doesn't extend there. Instead, the focus of the gift of prophecy at the present time is on predicting the future events and revealing hidden facts that will benefit believers. So our assertion then that the gift of prophecy today consists of inspired uh, messages about future events and revealing hidden facts is one that is supported by the scripture. Now this is because the examples we find in the New Testament regarding the gift of prophesying by a New Testament prophet involve prediction of future events and this is illustrated by first by really by only person we know prophet Agabus. He predicted of the coming uh, famine in the entire Roman world at that point that was fulfilled as we read in Acts chapter eleven verses twenty seven through twenty eight. And that's why we take a break. After a break, we'll read it.